episode 212 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Fly with Garmin Avionics, then grab your mobile device and make the Garmin Pilot app your cockpit companion. Get advanced functions you'll use before, during, and after every flight, including updating your aircraft's databases and logging engine data, plan, file, fly, log with Garmin Pilot. Pilot to Pilot is brought to you by The Finer Points. These guys are constantly adding content to the Ground School app. Check it out at learnthefinerpoints.com. I'm Nick Hoffman. I'm a jack of all trades and a master of maybe one. I'm a pilot. I'm a fiddle player. I'm a singer, a country music artist, a television host, and a, a dad and a father. Not necessarily in that order. AV Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot to Pilot podcast. Today's episode is such a good episode. I know in the past I've said that many, many times, but you can probably agree that I'm usually right. They usually are really good episodes. And I know it's my podcast and I say that, but they are fire episodes. <laughs> Today's episode is with Nick Hoffman. Nick is uh, Nick's wild ride. He has his own TV show. He plays fiddle, as you'll hear at the end of this episode. And he's also a very, very talented musician. And he has such an amazing story. He just came on and told it all. I mean, we pretty much got everything out, including something he's never told anyone before. So make sure you listen for that. This is a great episode. It's amazing to see how aviation has helped change his life and how he got back into aviation and just what hard work can really do and putting yourself in the right position and creating your own luck to be the best version of yourself. Uh, Nick was awesome to have on and, and I hope you enjoy this. If you do enjoy this, please leave us a review on iTunes and Spotify. Yes, you can now leave reviews on Spotify. I think we have about 150 right now. Let's try to get that up equal to, if not more than the Apple podcast. So go spam those five-star reviews on Spotify, please. That's how more people can find the podcast and we get more AV Nation. Uh, that's about it. Other than Pilot's Coffee is the best coffee in the game. Make sure you go buy it. Follow us on Pilot to Pilot and Pilot's Coffee on Instagram. I hope you are having a great day. And without any further ado, here's Nick Hoffman. Nick, what's going on, man? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. <laughs> man, I'm glad to be here. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Uh, thank you so much for making this happen. It is a Saturday. Uh, we met up at Oshkosh and we talked about doing this and it's om- not almost a year. It's been about six months, but we're here we are. You know, we're making it happen. <laughs> man, it's pro- it's mostly my fault. I'm uh, known amongst my friends as the as an international man of mystery and not <laughs> because I'm mysterious, but because I'm the worst at, at pinning, at getting pinned down or, or returning texts or emails. I'm terrible. So it's mostly my fault. Well, you might've met your match because at one point you <laughs> said that I might be worse than you. So here we are, <laughs> but we made it happen. That. I did say, I didn't want to throw you under the bus. Hey, no, by all means, go for it, man. It's fair game. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hey, we're here. Uh, we're going to have some fun, talk about aviation, talk about you, talk about everything that's going on. Uh, but I'd like to start out the same question for everyone. It's really the only plain question I have, and that's why aviation? What in your life, uh, whether you're younger and just loved planes, what kind of sparked that joy of aviation and wanted you to start flying? Uh, I mean, it's my dad. Um, my dad is, uh, well, I come from a long, let me back up. So it really kind of almost in a way starts with my grandpa because I come from a line of engineer-minded guys. My grandpa was an engineer. My dad easily could have been an engineer, but but went a different route. But uh, the the common theme between my grandpa, both my grandfathers actually, my dad and me, is this 
intrinsic love of machines. You know, uh, we like to build stuff and we like to fix stuff. And, and so from a very early age, my dad was always instilling this fascination of not only machines, but specifically airplanes with me and, and, you know, always looking up at the sky and, and, pointing out a different kind of plane, but he wasn't a pilot, but he always wanted to fly. And I remember him saying really early on, my dad's a a heating and air conditioning guy and, and he's the best at what he does. Um, and he's, but he, I remember him saying, man, if I could have went back and, and, uh, done it all over again, and this is when I was even younger, I would have been a pilot. And, and so every summer we went to Oshkosh and my uncle, uh, had, was building a plane in his basement for many years. And so I went with my dad's family and his family, uh, my family and his family, my uncle's family to Oshkosh every year. Um, and so, but again, my dad wasn't a pilot. And so my first flight in a plane actually happened at Oshkosh. I talked a dude into taking me on a, on a young Eagles flight there during air venture. And, um, it was in a Mooney and, uh, and it changed my life. Um, and before that, my dad and I always flew RC planes. So it really, I guess it started with RC planes and then just kind of built up from there. But Oshkosh is what did it for me. You know, RC planes were one thing and building those in my basement and, you know, flying them and stuff. That was cool. And that's what we had together. But man, I took a ride in that Mooney. And then the next year I took a ride in the Ford tri-motor and, you know, it just, I always knew I was going to fly. What was the goal for, for you um, at that age or even younger? Was it ever to be a pilot or did you kind of, like you said, your jack of all trades, did you have so many things you wanted to do and flying was just going to fit into your lifestyle? Well, it, that's a great question. And I've never been asked it quite like that because I'm, you know, what your listeners may or may not know is that I'm a, I'm a, I'm a country music artist. I'm a fiddle player. I have no recollection of not playing the fiddle. So my track for my life has always been music. I used to stand in front of the the mirror when I was 12 years old and imagine being on the Grand Ole Opry. I knew I was going to move to Nashville. I knew I wanted to, to, you know, play on the biggest stage as possible. I knew I wanted to be on the radio, but I also knew I always wanted to fly. And so in my head, um, of course I saw Top Gun and I'm from that, that age. Like I either, you know, I thought about maybe I'll join the military and maybe I'll fly, but there was no way because I always knew I was going to move to Nashville and play music. So my dad always told me that I needed to have a backup, you know, because it's smart. The truth is that most people move to Nashville and the town chews them up and spits them out and they go home with their tail between their legs. And that I had to, I had to be okay with the fact that 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 was a distinct possibility. And later on, if we get into it, I'll tell you about my path to Nashville, which is pretty, pretty interesting. So I always viewed aviation as a legit backup. So um, at 17, 16 years old, I 17, well, I guess about 16, I got a job at, um, the local FBO. I grew up in Minnesota at crystal skyways, which was at KMIC, uh, um, underneath the, the Minneapolis airspace. And, um, I got a job at the FBO pumping gas and I bartered my flight time and, um, my, I, I couldn't afford it. And my family certain couldn't certainly couldn't afford it, but I worked it off and, and, um, I got my private when I was 17, almost 18. And, and then, um, I moved to Nashville and I kept flying and I kept building up my hours and I kept working towards something bigger and better, um, flying wise with the idea that it was going to be something that I fell back on. 
And uh, luckily for me, I've had a magical music career and I never really needed to fall back on it. And so I lost currency and I ended up um, flying a lot with other people. But it wasn't until, you know, 15, almost 20 years later that I really started flying again and that I got current and I bought an airplane and, you know, I really finally started living out my aviation dream. So that's a long way around to tell you that, that, uh, that it, it started off as, as a passion from my dad and it, I, I pursued the private pilot as a possible second career or a, a backup career. And then, um, it just, then I became the quintessential rusty pilot. Yeah. Two things about that, that, uh, strike that, uh, got me thinking one, you said you have no recollection of not playing the fiddle. It's like, I have never even once even considered playing the fiddle or thought of the fiddle. So it's really cool how people can have goals or have these talents and have these skills that are so different than everyone else. You know, it's like, that was never even in my sphere of ideas like galaxies like that's just but yeah. I think it's so cool that you you had that and you had that goal and skill and wanted to do that at such a young age and then two it's really funny that flying was your backup because most people are are flying and then they need a backup if flying doesn't work out yeah so we got two careers that literally are just completely like the the the, the fallout rate is <laughs> so high exactly yeah it's like yeah, what was but, your other backup like gonna go to med school be a doctor <laughs> yeah 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 so that's that was the track you know and but the, I was lucky because I look back at it now so the the reason I don't remember not playing the fiddles because I came from a musical family my grandparents both played music and they had jam sessions every Saturday night and so like I just just grew up with it. It wasn't really an option to not play an instrument and they bought me a fiddle and I, I had an aptitude for it. So the, what a gift, you know I mean? The, the life that I've lived because of the fiddle is the stuff that most people can only dream of. And so I just look back and so grateful for that. And the same thing goes for aviation. I mean, the gift that my dad gave me at such an early age of helping me build first model airplanes and then RC airplanes, you know, building them, you know, you, you learn how an airplane works because you built one, you know, and then going to Oshkosh and watching the air shows with him. And, and then, uh, you know, it's what a gift. And my favorite thing about that whole thing is that my dad later on, um, almost, you know, I don't know, Gus 15 years ago. Now he finally learned to fly and, and he bought, and he bought a, he's got a Cessna 150 that is the nicest, um, 150 that I, that I know of. and. And that's his thing. And he, and now he finally learned to fly and I, I love it. That's so cool. You know? Yeah. That's a, that's a great story. Uh, it's really interesting on this podcast. I've always talked about kind of flying mostly and uh, whether you got into it later or whether it's just a second part of your career or there was your actual career. We have 200 and this will be 212 episodes of how to be a successful pilot, but you're more interesting because you've been successful in other industries as well. How, would you consider your, how do you kind of, how do you become successful in being a fiddle player? Like what sets you apart? What was it that, that got you to where you are today and really set you apart? Because I'm sure there's many other people, surprisingly to, to me, that want to go play the fiddle in Nashville and want to, you know, go across that career and try that. Man, I never thought about it quite like that. I mean, I will say that when other people now, that moved to Nashville and asked me a similar kind of question, like, what do we, you know, how do I make it? What do I do? 
the the number one thing is you got to keep your nose to the grindstone. If if and that goes for everything. I mean, I'm just right now. Um, next week, I I take my instrument check ride finally. Right, I, I've been putting it up. I've been putting it off forever, but I say that to say that like studying for the instrument written was like that. You just have to keep your nose to the grindstone. You have to do it. And, and it, it's, it's the same thing with learning to an instrument. Talent takes you only so far. It's the work you put in that really, really, um, cuts, you know, makes the cream rise to the top. I believe that, you know, I think I can teach anyone to play the fiddle, whether or not they have a, a major musical talent that ma- that talent does take you th- to the nth degree. You know, not everybody can be um, a fighter pilot. Not everybody's got it right. Not everybody can, you know, I could go in a hundred different directions with it, but the, but honestly the parallels between aviation and music are, are very similar in that it really, the work you put in is what you're going to get out of it. And, and I really believe that. I mean, you know, we, there's great musicians and shitty musicians and there's great pilots and shitty pilots. And oftentimes the, the, you know, common denominator is, is the amount of work invested, you know? And, and so in my case, I moved to Nashville and I refused to take no for an answer and I worked my ass off and I outworked a lot of people. And then the, here's the other side of it. In the early days, I also got really lucky. I, I got put in a couple of scenarios that, um, you know, I, I created my opportunity to be in those scenarios, but I got a couple big strokes of luck. And when those struck strokes of luck come, man, you gotta be ready. And, and I had, I had put the work in before that already, you know what I mean? So yeah, I'm a you know, firm you, believer that you create your own luck though. Or, I mean, there are obviously you just get a huge break, but you put yourself in a position through your hard work to receive the opportunity to go after that, you know, like you have put in the work. I was going to say on top of that, when I, I've played sports my whole life and took it as far as I could. And I was at Ohio state and there were so many talented people that didn't make it because they didn't work as hard as other people. They always Absolutely. counted on their talent and that can be, be a pilot as well. You can be a very talented pilot, but if you don't put in the work and if you don't uh, avoid becoming the rusty pilot that we talked about earlier, then you're, you're not going to be that professional pilot you wanted to be. And you could find yourself in an unfortunate situation. Uh, absolutely working hard really sets you apart and it's a tough thing to do it is not easy it is so much easier to just take the easy road and just hang out and go on tiktok instagram whatever and just kind of like be like oh woe is me you know but it is such a tough thing to do and it's hard to be very consistent at working hard and you know the haters are out there because of that too i mean i mean there there are so many people that have been in my life that you know oh he's he's just lucky or you know he's just this or he's just that and you know, the truth is that I'm willing to admit that there have definitely been strokes of luck, but I agree with you. I think you do, you do make your own luck in certain ways. I think the difference is, are the, are you ready when your stroke of luck comes, when the ball gets set on the tee for you, have, have you put in the hours to be able to hit that ball out of the park? And, and I, I believe in that as cheesy as that sounds and as cliche as that sounds, I mean, that's the short answer. I mean, well, it's a very long answer now. Shit, I'm very long winded today. Uh, but that's <laughs> good, that man. is the that's um, that's I think that's the first key. You got to put the time in, and and I'm a product of that. I, I really do. Don't get me wrong. I've slacked off a time or two, and I paid for it. Oh, for sure. You know? And I've also slacked off a. I phoned it in a time or two, and 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 gotten away with it too. Yeah. You know, but Everyone for has. the most part, for the most part, you know, the work. 
I'm sure Tom matter. Brady has even phoned it in once or twice. Like everyone has their their moments where they're just not at their best, you know. Well, and I think a guy like Tom Brady, you know, and this I'm not by by no means comparing myself to Tom Brady, but I can speak for myself and I think it applies to him too, is that part of the reason that he became the machine he was is now was later in his career is because he realized where his shortcomings were and he needed to make them better. And in order to do that, he needed to do X, Y, and Z. And the differences between him and a lot of other people is that, man, if you, if, when you realize what your shortcomings are, you need to make them better. And if you don't, then you're just going to stay the same and you're never going to go to the next level, you know? And I don't know, I digress. No, I you're right. I mean, I think that's good stuff because when I was playing, I hate to always bring up football, but it's like the only thing that I have other than flying is <laughs> football. But um, Coach Meyer always said, you got to learn how to live uncomfortably. Like you have to love to be uncomfortable because when you come uncomfortable, that's where your potential comes. And that's where your growth can happen. Uh, whenever you're staying in your comfort zone, you are going to be maxed at how great you're going to be because you can only go so far because you're not acknowledging what your weaknesses are. You are just kind of hiding those and hoping they never come to for, to show and they will whether it's flying, whether it's real life, whether it's a relationship, whether it's anything. And you said that there's so many parallels between being a pilot and a fiddler. There's so many parallels between like any job, uh, whether you're a great athlete, whether you're a great musician, great pilot, whether you're a great plumber. Uh, there's like a formula for success that you can follow. And absolutely. you can set yourself up so well. Yeah, absolutely. One of them, I think, is being willing to take leaps too. Um, you know, you have to be willing to take chances in order to take it to the next level. And what does that mean for every, it means something different for everybody. In a lot of cases, um, you know, I have so many friends that, that say to me, man, I would love to learn to fly. I would love to learn, you know, to go take some lessons and get my private pilot's license, but they never do it. And there's always an excuse. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. I don't, and the truth is that every one of those is surmountable. You just don't want it bad enough. And I, I believe that. Um, my instrument rating is a great example. I'll, I'll knock on myself. I have had the hours and the training done and had the great opportunity to do quite a bit of instrument flying in lots of different situations with lots of different people, but I've never finished my rating. My excuse was time. I always said, I don't have the time. And the truth is I am busy, but... I obviously didn't want it bad enough because I didn't make the time, right? And so finally, I made the time this year. I that was my New Year's resolution to myself, and I and I and I did it. You know, I'm I'm hopefully I passed my damn check, right? We'll see. But uh, but you know, I I had to make the time, and it was a significant time commitment. And for me, that meant I got to go down to Florida and spend six days focused to finish it up. I'm going to check ride prep for five days and go take my prep ride check ride because I had to take that time away from everything else in order to do it. But that doesn't mean that that's how everybody else has to do it, but man, yeah, I'm telling you, <laughs> I, I, I made excuse my, my buddy's got sick of hearing about it. You know what I mean? That's good friends. Quit, like, dude, just quit, do quit it making excuses. Yeah. yeah. Just do it and shut up. Exactly. Yeah. So when when I can't go because it's it's really nice out, but there's just a little cloud layer, and and I can't go somewhere to visit my buddy because of it. Well, you know, shit or get off the pot. You know what I mean? Uh, what's your goals of flying? Uh, what's like your long term plan? Instrument, commercial, multi, ATP. You're gonna fly for an airline and do a TV show and do all that stuff. Like, what's your goal? Yeah. Well, I've a. Uh, my my short term goal is I've got a brand new TV show that I've been developing. So I have a television show now called Nick's Wild Ride that's on the Outdoor Channel. 
And it's, I, I go all over the world and I explore local history and food and culture and music and people while I hunt. So I go somewhere to hunt and then I do all that stuff on the side. Um, and so I built kind of a brand around that and, uh, kind of that Anthony Bourdain style guy. And, um, and so I have a, a real terrible affliction of turning my hobbies into jobs, you know? And so, um, I've got this new show I'm developing called runways. That's a similar part. It's an extension of that, of the next wild ride brand where I just, I take my, my little plane and, and, and go somewhere that you probably wouldn't go without an airplane and shut the motor off and, and then explore what makes that place tick history, food, culture, music. I'm a, I'm a nut for all of those things. So, um, the short-term goal is I'm going to use my single engine plane to go cool places and tell people, tell their stories. You know, I love to tell stories. And so, um, that's the short term. Um, the long-term thing for me is I don't like to do anything half-ass. And so, um, I like to learn. And so for me, I'll definitely go all the way through my commercial and then my multi-engine commercial and, uh, and seaplane and all that stuff only because, um, I want to, because that's for me, I like to keep learning and be as, as good as I can be, you know? And, and so I'm, a some people, my dad, for example, has zero interest in flying unless it's just totally fair weather and, and, fair, fair winds. Which you know is totally what I mean? fine, right? Yeah. Like and, that's and that's you want aviation, then by all means, that's it. Yep. And for me, it's like, I just want to, I want to be as good as I can be. And also I want to keep learning. Um, the other thing I really am interested in, I, I bought a glass air sportsman recently, uh, about a year ago and I love it. And I'm, I want to fly some, um, some stole stuff with it. I, I really enjoy the challenge of, uh, of some backcountry flying. I, I'm a, um, borderline obsessed with it because of hunting. And, um, and I want to start doing a little bit of stole drag and a little bit of, um, some stole competition. I, I don't expect to do it on a really high level because I don't have the time right now, but I really, I want to do more of that because I enjoy that kind of flying. Hey, if you really want to do it, you make time for it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Did I, did somebody, somebody I know said that. that? (laughs) Dang it. No, that's funny. Yeah. That's cool. I saw your glass air. Uh, you're the second person I know that has a glass air. Uh, and they talk huge things about it. It looks like a cool airplane. Um, I'm a sucker for avionics. Like if you put good avionics in an airplane, I'm like, all right, I'll take it, you know? So anything that starts with that formula is a great plane by mile, by all means. Yeah, we, we, uh, we've got a pretty cool plane, man. Uh, my buddy and I, uh, bought the plane together and, um, and it's got a, uh, advanced flight systems, 5,600 deck, which is a, you know, full glass EFIS and, and engine monitoring and everything. And then it's got a, a Garmin 750 in it. And we just put the, the Dynon autopilot that goes along with the advanced flight systems, all the Dynon stuff works with that. So we put a brand new autopilot in it and full head controller head and everything. And I've got Sirius XM radio and, 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 and I've got the weather and, you know, so dude, I mean, I've got a hard, a hard cross country, hard, sorry, hard IFR full cross country plane that cruises as fast as a 182 and lands just a little longer than a super cub. You know what I mean? It's, it's a pretty good, pretty good package. Yeah, it's a yeah. cool airplane and you're doing half yeah. my work for me for uh, mentioning two of my sponsors, Garmin and Sirius XM. So I appreciate oh. it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad to do that. Yeah. Right. Just keep going. <laughs> you know, what else do you like about them now? <laughs> yeah. Um, one question I think is interesting, and everyone kind of has a, a moment like this. Has flying ever not been fun for you? Is it still fun every single day? 
Uh, has there been a day where you're just like, this kind of sucks? <laughs> God, what a, what a good question. For me, not really. Honestly, because for me, I don't do it as a job, right? So um, when I go to the... If, when I go to the hangar, it's because I want to be there because I've looked forward to it all day. Um, it's my it's my release. It's honestly when I fly, there's only two things in my life that I do that shut my brain completely off because I got a pretty damn busy brain, and and one of them is hunting. When I sit in a tree stand, I I, I think about nothing other than 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 what I'm doing right now. Um, same thing with fly fishing to a certain extent, but. Flying is really the only thing that shuts my brain off. And, and, and it's because you have no choice, right? You got to focus on what you're doing. And, and I focus on, I don't certainly doesn't shut my brain off. It just, it just shuts the rest of the world off is a better way to put that. And, and that's what I love about it. So for me, when I go flying, no, man, I mean, I, I suppose I've been in a couple of situations where I got, had to, you know, divert for weather and sit on the ground and uh, spend the night somewhere or something like that. I, that sucks. But, you know, other than that, no, I love it. You know, what else? So yeah, this is another good point. Someone that isn't a, um, a professional, I don't want to say professional pilot. Cause I feel everyone could be a professional pilot. Someone that doesn't fly for a living, make money flying. Um, specifically in the past, it was doctors and bonanzas. Uh, it was just successful people that get in aviation and maybe bite a little bit more often they can chew or they get a little distracted while they're flying. Their brain is constantly thinking about their actual job and not worried about flying. Is it hard for you to kind of, uh, transition your brain to just focus on flying? Do you ever catch yourself like daydreaming about the TV show and kind of just not paying, not necessarily paying attention, but you know what I mean? Just kind of doing other things or is it easy for you to just really focus on flying? No, in fact, that's kind of what I was getting at earlier is that it's, 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 that's what I love so much about it is that's what I love about aviation is that it, it literally, when I turn the key, it's the whole rest of the world just melts away. And I, that again, sounds so cheesy and so cliche, but that is what it does for me. It is like this, this, you know, sudden just another world that you go into and in another state of mind because i love the technical side of it all you know what i mean i love the i like the checklists and i like the the okay i gotta do this right now and i want to i want to get this just right and i love dialing my prop and my engine to the just just so they're just everything's just right and watching fuel flow i dig on that stuff so there's never if you if 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 your brain like I am like that, there's never, is never a dull moment. I don't have time to, and if I allow anything, I allow myself, um, when we're autopilots on and I'm cruising somewhere. Yeah. I, then I turn on the Sirius XM and I, I listen to some music and, and I like, that's probably my only real, you know, moment, you know, but I, I love it. It's, it's my, it's my escape, which is ironic. Cause I don't ever want to make it sound like I'm, um, lackadaisical about it. Cause I'm not. You know, but it is, it's my escape. Well, it's funny when you can, as someone that like wants to be an airline pilot and does it for their, can't talk, does it for a job and does it for a living. 
there comes a point in time where aviation can become just a job to you. And it's not, you lose what you're just talking about right now. I don't know when it is. If it's when uh, you go from actually getting paid and kind of flying in a weather you don't like anymore. And you're just like, well, this kind of sucks. And just kind of over time, or if there's an actual like hour mark, it's like, all right, well, 1500 hours, here we go. I just passed my check. Right. Like, I don't like know when it is, but there's so many airline pilots or pilots I fly in the corporate world that just don't enjoy it anymore. And it's sad to see. It really is. Yeah. And I can tell you, in fact, I just had this conversation today with a, a young lady that is a good friend of mine who is a horse trainer. She's a, you know, a, a aspiring horse trainer is a better way to put it. And she's already starting to feel that, that this thing she loves so much is becoming a job. And, and I told her, I said, I don't think there's anything that you can do for a job that uh, there isn't going to be a moment every once in a while where you're, where it just becomes just a job because I'm here to tell you, I've been lucky enough to play the biggest concerts in the world and played on the biggest TV shows and had my own songs on the radio and all these things that are like, you know, everyone's dream, myself included. And I'd be lying if I said that every once in a while, some of that didn't become to feel just like a job. You know what I mean? Because it's, it, I just did it day in and day out and it took me away from home and it, it kept me away from my, my daughter and it ruined a marriage at one point. And you know, it, all the things that happen with life. So in the end, it doesn't matter what you do. If you do it long enough as your job, there's going to be periods where you're sick of it. I, I believe that. And, and so you, I think, you know, what do you say to somebody that, that that happens to, I say, figure out a way to make it fun again. You know what I mean? If you're, if you're sick of something, figure out, you know, what do they say about marriages? Like, you know, figure out how to keep the spark alive, you know, or get put, you know, whatever it is. It's like, just figure out how to make it fun again. Yeah. You know, it'll come back Remember the feeling you had after your first solo or what was going through your mind at your first solo and how much you love this. Yep. Easier said than done. Obviously when you're shooting an ILS in a snowstorm and landing on a, a slushy runway where your brakes aren't working very well. Not saying that's personal experience. I'm just saying that could that's, happen. That could uh, happen. Yeah. yeah. It's a possibility. Well, that, that sounds a lot like how I felt during my solo, my first solo, just yeah. completely terrified. God, I was terrified. <laughs> I really was. I was terrified. You got a good story or is it just completely? Not terror? really. I just remember that I wasn't expecting it. So my, I got out of the plane and he said, leave it run. And I got to go do something. And my instructor came back and he had signed my logbook and did whatever else he needed to do to make it legal. And he said, you know, all right, you're gone. And I'm like, what? He didn't even give me time to think about it. You know, he knew I was ready. And he said, uh, I'll let the tower know. And, and there I went. And I just remember being terrified because I didn't want to screw it up. And it's also like, you know, you, man, when you got that safety blanket with you in the right seat, it's a whole nother deal. But man, when it's the first time, but I, I'll never forget how great I felt when it was over. You know, boy, was I terrified. Holy crap. When did the fear go away after the first landing or was that like, all right, I got to do that again? <laughs> no, I, I got out and I, I literally, I remember once the adrenaline kind of hit, it hit me what I'd done, I was like, okay. When I asked him, when do I get to go again? And he, he put these, you know, as they all do, it's like, basically, I'm sure it was like zero crosswind and, and, uh, zero, you know, calm winds only kind of thing, you know, but he, he set my limits in there and he said, as long as it was within this, I can't remember what they were, but, and, uh, 
you know, I couldn't wait to do it again. But man, that first time I was terrified. I remember when I was doing my solo, I was holding short. Uh, my instructor got out, obviously. He popped out. He went up in the tower and he was hanging out with his friends watching binoculars with binoculars on watching me go. Uh, and I was holding short, getting ready to take off at Ohio State Airport. And the tower guy goes, good luck. We're all watching. And I was like, great. <laughs> Thanks, dude. <laughs> and this was like the infamous tower guy. It was Tony. Uh, I There's like a nickname for him, but I can't just call him Tower Tony. And there was, you just did not like to piss off Tony. But Tony was probably one of the best controllers. You listen to what he said and you'll get it done. But as soon as you kind of like ruin his plan, uh, all hell breaks loose. So, but I was just so nervous with that. But it all worked out, obviously, because here we are. <laughs> but that's funny. Yeah. You know, it's uh, you know, I was thinking it's it's cool that you can remember his first name, but not his last. I I was thinking about it the other day. I I learned to fly, um, you know, twenty five years ago or whatever now, and. And I, my, my instructor's name was Greg, but for the life of me, I cannot remember his last name. And it drives me nuts because this guy changed my life, man. And, and I worked at the, at the FBO. So I was with him every day and in his, in my logbook, his signature is so messy. There's no way that I can, um, get his, you know, figure out his last name. And then I've tried to like, figure out a way to look up his his CFI number that's in there, but I I've, I've never been successful with that because I'd like to thank him. So if he's listening, Greg, look me up, man. <laughs> cause, cause I, I, I would love to thank him because there's not a single day that goes by that, that I, when I go flying that I don't think about that, I can't hear him in my ear. You know what I mean? It's crazy how those fundamentals, if if they're taught right, they stick with you that much. And I'm sure every pilot feels like that. They can hear their their primary instructor yelling at them and and or saying something in their ear. And and uh, you know that guy, he changed my life and doesn't even know it. I just hear my instructor laughing at me. He's like, "Why? Why did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> why did you do I'm it? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm so well, sorry. Hey, All you right. just gave the internet a task. So if anyone's listening right now, Greg, what airport was it at? Had Crystal uh, in Crystal, Minnesota. So Crystal, Kilo Minnesota. Mike, uh, India Charlie, and uh, and his name was Greg. And there was also a girl named Sherry there as well that was a instructor that um, taught me a lot as well. And so those two, I would and I honestly I can't remember Sherry's last name either. I would love nothing more than to there talk to either one of you. You gave the internet a task. So how do they reach out to you to just DM you on Instagram, email, phone call, oh, yeah. smoke and, signal? And all of y'all out there, <laughs> uh, it's my Instagram, my Facebook is at Nick's Wild Ride for both of them. So um, hit me up and uh, I'd love to talk to you. Let's take a break from today's episode to hear from our sponsor, RAA. Did you know that you need to update your federal and state withholdings when you upgrade, change seats, increase your income, or have a life-changing event like getting married or having a child? Having too little withheld from your paychecks could mean an unexpected tax bill or even a penalty for underpayment. On the other side, when you have too much money withheld from your paychecks, you end up giving Uncle Sam an interest-free loan and getting a tax refund. The key to paying the right amount of tax is to update your W-4 regularly. You can do this at any time during the year, but remember, adjustments made later in the year will have less impact on your taxes for that year. Not sure where to start? RAA can help. Founded by pilots for pilots and with four decades of financial planning and investment management experience, RAA is intimately familiar with unique benefits, risks, and career timelines that pilots face. Whether you're early in your career as a pilot or you spent years flying the line, RAA is here to help you navigate your financial journey from takeoff to touchdown. For more pilot-specific planning tips, download RAA's Must Know Financial Facts for Pilot's Guide today 
at raa.com slash pilot to pilot. That's pilot to pilot. Now back to today's episode. What was your experience like coming back to flying? Was it was it different than you remember? Was um, was it just as fun? Was it more fun? Uh, when you take a break from flying, you can kind of get in your head a little bit and maybe even just re- tell yourself, like, I can't do this anymore. You can create those excuses that new pilots are making. Um, but what what did you what was your experience like? Well, I I was lucky because I had some friends that flew right, so I was it wasn't like I never got a little bit of stick time. So, you know, every year I'd probably fly three or four times a year. Um, when I was out on the road, Kenny Chesney, for example, he had a jet, right? So I get to hop in the right seat of the jet every once in a while. And I'd watch, I'd sit in the, I, and I would, and I'd sit in the, um, jump seat and watch them fly. Like it kept my mind in it. You know what I mean? And, and I had buddies, so I had a buddy with a guy that I worked with on the road that has an RV seven a, so we go flying every once in a while, there was different stuff like that. And so it, it, it but again, it was kind of like that first solo where I had, I had a safety blanket all the time. And when all of a sudden I, I think what kept me from, from getting back in was that I, I just felt like I wouldn't remember at all. I remember how hard it was to get my private and thinking, you know, like, you know, oh, I'll never remember my airspace limits and I won't remember all the stuff. And, and somebody reminded me, man, once you're a pilot, you're always a pilot. You're not going to, you know, you've done that, that hard work and you need to know that stuff, but you're not going to go through this like check ride again. You know what I mean? You, you just, you need to just go start flying. You just need to start somewhere. And, and I think I really, I was the quintessential rusty pilot to the, to the T. So I started with the AOPA website. They have a rusty pilot program. And I went, I went there and just started looking through their resources. And I, I started brushing up on a few things. I started watching a few videos and then I went to the, I went to the local airport, um, here by my house and, and just took my first lesson again. And, and literally it was, I don't know, three or four hours of flying. And I, they signed me off because I, I had remembered enough and I did my homework and, and I started Retina 172 there again. And, and, uh, and then I dove in hard. I mean, dove off the deep end. <laughs> what was more terrifying, so, your first solo flight or the first flight that you got signed off on after a long time off? <laughs> I think my first solo flight for sure. Yeah, yeah. But I'll tell you, it was different on my the first time I flew by myself um, the, after coming back off because that felt like a like a triumph. Like I was coming back home. I felt like like... You know, in the background was the Rocky song. I just felt like it was, that was it, man. You know what I mean? I, I'd done it. And I don't know, in a lot of ways, I think that break set the stage for what was to come. Like I said, diving off the deep end. I mean, I've been just, just, you know, obsessed ever since, you know? Yeah. I remember I was younger and I, I actually didn't want to be a pilot at this point in my life, but I remember very first country music star or artist that I ever knew that flew was Dirks Bentley. Cause I remember he bought a Cirrus to go either travel back and forth to home or to be, make sure he could still be home to be with his family when he was on tour. And I just thought that was the coolest thing. And I'm sure by now he's upgraded to something far bigger than a Cirrus, but I just thought it was so cool that he, he had that and that there's so many people. That's when I first realized that how many people love aviation, how it can be accessible uh, to more than just people that want to fly for a living. It's something that you can go do for a hobby and something that you can really just enjoy. So I thought that was cool. And I'm sure there's way more 
Uh, like you said, Kenny Chesney. Uh, there's just so many people that have success in other industries that come into flying and we all have this yeah. in common. Yeah. You know, and Kenny's not a pilot. Kenny hires the pilots, you know, but Dirks is a great example. I mean, he, he got into it because it, you know, was attracted to it, but also it was utility for him, you know, like you said, and, um, he, his Cirrus got damaged in the tornado oh, that came through here. Dang. And, but that's okay because, you know, he's also got an M2 Mustang and a caravan. So, oh, you know, guy. he's doing okay. Yeah. yeah poor guy. <laughs> I mean, it's still sad. That was probably his first series, you know, like, my- no, it was, it was just, it was his, his baby, you know, and it's, uh, it's a shame. I'm sure he probably, I don't know. I mean, he might've gotten it fixed up. I haven't heard, but, um, you know, it's, there's actually quite a few pilots in the Nashville scene here. Um, different songwriters and different, um, artists and stuff. And in the, there's a really vibrant, uh, aviation community around Nashville. It's pretty cool. If you ever want to throw anyone my way for the podcast, by all means, you know, it is. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. Well, you brought up Nashville, but, uh, I want to go back to kind of your story and how you got there. Cause it's such a big part of who you are. Uh, tell me the story. Uh, how did you get to Nashville? (laughs) It starts with running away from home. Actually. I, uh, I ran away from home when I was 17 in the middle of the night to Branson, Missouri. And the, the backstory for that was that I had recently visited Branson with my grandparents for spring break. And I went and saw some musical shows there and I was like, this is what I want to be doing. And I feel like I'm spinning my wheels back home. And, and, and I had a bluegrass band back home that was doing pretty well. And I was missing school quite a bit because I was out playing with this band. And, and, and uh, you know, I'd miss like a Thursday or a Friday sometimes, or I'd go play a fiddle contest or a gig with my grandma. My grandma and I played some shows together. And anyway, I was missing some school. And I got called into the principal's office one day. Um, Dr. Dean Suter was the guy's name. And he he told me that, um, I was going to have to repeat my junior year because I had missed too many days of school. And I, and I was devastated because a, I, I didn't want to spin my wheels any longer. I wanted to get my career started, you know? So I just wanted to finish high school and move on. And so the idea of doing another year was terrifying. Um, and he also told me that because of that, I would, I would not be eligible for any extracurricular stuff, any of the fun stuff, any, any sports, any choir, any band, any, you know, any of the stuff that, that I loved. And so he, um, and I told him, I said, I'm missing, I'm missing these days. Cause I'm, I'm doing what I'm going to do for a living. I'm learning the craft. And he, he looked me square in the eye and he said, you need to give up on that dream right now. You're never going to amount to anything as a musician. And, and I, I was devastated, you know? And so I got home I was laying in bed in the middle of the night and I got to thinking, I can't do this. So I was just ignorant enough and naive enough to think that 60 bucks in my pocket would be enough, you know? And, and, uh, I had like $60 in cash and I had my grandpa's credit card. He had given it to me to uh, fill up his gas tank on his car. And, and, um, I hadn't given it back to him yet. So I used his credit card to, to buy a Greyhound, Greyhound bus ticket. And I had those 60 bucks in my pocket and I went to Branson. This and is, this is like a proper runaway. Like this isn't yeah. like you packed your bags, went in the, in the side street and then yeah. slept in your garage the next night. Yeah. You know? I, I left, I left uh, my car in the parking lot of the job I was working and didn't tell my parents where I was going. My and looking back, you know, my parents, poor parents were, you know, freaked out and, 
And, but they had an idea, I think. And, and, uh, I got down there and I played for tips to make some money and kind of pulled myself up by my bootstraps and ended up getting a job at a show that Dolly Parton owns and, um, playing fiddle and riding horses and doing all sorts of stuff and singing. And, and it was there in Branson that I met a guy who ended up moving to Nashville. And when I, um, through some, through basically long story short, through Connections that I made in Branson when I moved to Nashville uh, in uh, several years later in January of 2000, I knew some guys that uh, were affiliated with the Kenny Chesney band. And so it wasn't very long after moving to Nashville that I ended up on the road with Kenny Chesney and that changed my life. And at that point, Kenny was uh, playing in clubs for, you know, um, my first gig with him is in a club for, I don't know, I don't know thousand people or less than that, maybe at a club in Atlanta. And five or six years later, we were playing stadiums for 60,000. And so I just, I, you know, that's, that was a stroke of luck that we talked, like we talked about, you know, I had, I had other things that I had done had led to that, but I was ready for that moment, you know, and looking back though, I wasn't as ready as I thought I was. I was actually completely green, didn't know what I was doing, completely naive, 19, 20 years old. And, um, and looking back, I, I I can't believe those guys put up with me. Uh, you know what I mean? I was a young, not green, naive, arrogant kid. And, uh, you know, 13 years later, I was still there and, 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 uh, having the time of my life. And I, I, the only reason I left Kenny's band was because I got my own record deal finally. And so that was the time of my life. And I owe Kenny the, the biggest thanks in the world because I wouldn't be who I am where I am or anything without, without that time in that band. And then for him, you know, I owe him so much every dream for the most part that I ever wanted to come true with the exception of having my own songs on the radio, which came later all happened because of Kenny Chesney, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. Shout out to Kenny Chesney, man. That's great. Yeah, man. Love, love that dude. Oh uh, yeah. I love his music. So yeah. Uh, love your music too, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, it's really, so what I wanted to ask, there's a lot of people that come to this moment in their life where they think about doing something like that, but they don't. Do you regret doing that? Or do you think that obviously you might've been able to do it in a better way to protect your family and make sure they knew that you're safe, but some people need an abrupt change to, to be able to, to go forward and, and do this. They can't just slowly do this. Maybe their family want to let them go. Uh, circumstances uh, are, maybe they're just different. They need to leave immediately. So by all means, go if you have to do that. But would you do it the same? Would you have done anything different in this situation? Or would you recommend someone right now listening to this that's thinking the same thing, I have to get out? What would you do? That girl I was talking about that I spoke to today, we actually had this conversation. So the my answer is pretty fresh in my head. And the answer is, I would still do it. I just wouldn't do it like I did it. Um, what's ironic is that when you know, I talk to my parents about it now, my mom sensed it coming. She, she knew that I was restless. She knew, she feared that I might do something like this. And so she had already been looking into how I could test out of high school. Like if I had just communicated with them a little better, I think that, I don't know that my dad would have went for it, but I, I think that at least I could have, you know, done something a little bit different, you know, cause it's not fair to put your family through that. But I can tell you that, um, you know, no, I would still do it. And 
I would absolutely, I mean, yes, I would absolutely still do it. That's <laughs> the better way to put it. And, and, and it's like I said earlier, leaps, man. The, the one thing that I figured out, and this goes for running away from home, it goes to, for moving to Nashville, leaving, leaving a, a real, I, I, in between there, I ended up with a really successful band back in Minnesota later on. And I left that to get moved to Nashville. That was another leap. Um, later on, years later, I, I left Kenny's band because I got my own record deal. And that's, I left the graviest, most biggest gravy train gig on the planet to, to try start all over and, you know, and put, try to get, achieve that next dream. And so I've, I'm, walking proof that, you know, you got to take leaps in life. And, and I, I learned that from a, a book that I read about Lee Iacocca, the, the famous CEO, CEO that, uh, you know, brought GM back from the brink back in the seventies. And the, one of the first things in his, in his memoir talks about the most successful people in life. Um, they have to be willing to take leaps and it doesn't mean that you just jump off a cliff blindly, but if you look over that cliff and you know, there's water down there, and there's a good chance you're going to make it, you're going to regret not making that leap. And I'll never forget that. And I believe that. Yeah, you've definitely made a lot of leaps. <laughs> and that yeah. takes a lot of courage and a lot of guts. And there's moments when you take those leaps before you get to, to the peak, before you finally climb the mountain. Like you actually have to put in the work. And there's moments where it's tough. There's moments where it's like, oh my gosh, why did I leave home? Why did I quit this band? What is kind of one moment that sticks out in your mind where you didn't think you're going to make it, where everything was maybe coming becoming too much? Uh, do you have anything specifically where it was a real true moment where you're like, I should just go back? Yeah, I mean, um, when I left Kenny's band, I had a record deal already on Warner Brothers with my band, The Farm. But I w- I've been in the industry long enough to know that the chances of us actually having any success at all were very, very slim. I mean, we're talking about, you know, that's a, to get a song in the top 40 on the radio is a, you know, let alone top 20 or top 15 or number one, you're talking about it's, I heard somebody liken it once to, it's like an hourglass, you know, you've got a million grains of sand up above and only one can come through at a time in the middle. Once you break through the middle, it's a lot easier, a lot more room. And that's exactly what it's like. And so taking that leap and leaving that, look, I'm a hardworking Minnesota farm kid, right? I was, it was burned into my head that, man, if you got a good job, you don't leave it. You know what I mean? Work, 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 work. And, um, you know, my dad and my grandpa both, I can hear them talking in my ear and leaving that gig. That was, there was a point there. I'm like, what am I doing? What am I doing? This is stupid, you know? Because I was not only was I leaving a good job, of course, but I was leaving the job. I mean, the, the, the arguably one of the greatest side guy gigs in the history of the world. I mean, Kenny plays for more people and sells more tickets than just about any artist literally in the world. <laughs> so it's like I'm playing stadiums for 60,000 screaming chicks every night. I mean, this is the greatest thing ever, you know? And, and so, but I'm glad I did it because it worked. You know, and I had success and I had my songs on the radio. And, and so, um, but man, I was scared. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't, I had a new baby, you know, and, and, uh, unhappy wife and, you know, and it was, it was a tough time. 
but I'm glad I did it. What do you attribute most to your success to? Uh, was it your hard work that you were instilled growing up? Uh, was it just uh, the people you know and uh, have those connections or luck? What do you just really like narrow it down to of, uh, of really your success? I, I really do. The first thing is what we talked about earlier. I'm, I'm blessed with this, this Hoffman work ethic, you know, that is, is a staple in our family. Um, my, my dad and my mom and my, and my, my whole family on both sides of, you know, both sets of grandparents, man, we're workers. And, you know, if you want something, you go out and get it and work hard for it. Keep your head down, keep your powder dry, you know? And, um, and that's, that's the first part. The second part is you got, for me, I've, I've never, I've never been afraid to, to, to talk to people to ask for something, to network, to get to know people. And, and that, that uh, outgoing nature, um, definitely paid dividends in an, in, in the sense of networking and meeting people. And, you know, um, I believe in the power of that, you know, that's how you and I met at Oshkosh at an AOPA thing. We just struck up a conversation and here we are. I was probably you know? trying to shove coffee down your mouth. Like here's coffee, drink it. <laughs> <laughs> that happened. It actually. did happen. But I, 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 I but I took I took coffee to Kyrgyzstan with you. Oh, you did. I appreciate that. And no shame. It's kind of like you said, though. You have to you have to be able to put yourself out there, and that's a learned skill. Like that is a very intimidating thing at first, but it's something that you really just have to do because so many people just don't do that. And it's the first step you can make, and one of the easier steps you can make is literally just go, "Hi, my name is this," and then see where it goes. Nailed it. And that's great advice for anybody out there listening. And that, I swear, tying it back in, that's the same thing, man. Go to an airport. Where do you start? If you want to learn to fly, just go to an airport and say, hi, I'm Nick and I want to learn to fly. Or can I hang out here and just watch airplanes? I mean, literally, that is where it starts. If you're a rusty pilot like I was, it started with me getting off my ass and going over there and saying, hey, I have my pilot's license, but I really haven't done much with it in 20 years. Where do I start? And I was in, I was in an airplane literally the next day, you know, man, it's, it's so many parallels. So many, we got to talk about your TV show. So that is like, like one of the coolest things having a TV show. I think it'd be awesome to have a TV show. Um, so I'm a little jealous. But I would love to just like, how does that happen? So how do you put yourself in that situation? Like, where does that come from? Is that like you're talking about? You just said hi, you communicated, you, you went after it and you didn't want to hear no. No, that is actually the opposite. Um, but it, 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 it actually, this story happens because of the networking side of things, because of meeting people and not ever really, you know, um, meeting somebody that I don't consider a friend because that is kind of my personality. And it starts with, um, being on the road, playing with different country artists, um, country music, you know, there's a lot of us that are outdoorsmen and hunters. And I, that's always been a major, uh, you know, commonality in my entire life is I love the outdoors. And so I started meeting these people that I watched on TV, uh, you know, on outdoor TV shows, um, that I would meet them backstage at concerts. And, and so I'd, uh, there, these people were like celebrities to me, you know, they're hunting celebrities. And so I get to know them and, and a couple of them invited me to be a guest on their TV show. And, and that led to more of that and more of that. And next thing I know, I've got all these friends in the outdoor industry and 
fast forward about 10 years of that, um, I got to be really good friends with a producer named Mark Baird, who had created some of the most successful outdoor shows, uh, you know, out there. And he and I got to talking over a beer one day um, about outdoor TV and, you know, how some of it's good and some of it isn't. Maybe we could do this or do that. And I said, you know, man, I love Anthony Bourdain. And man, when I go somewhere to hunt, I always look for the local burger or the local beer or uh, try to find a museum. I just want to know about the place that I go and hunt. And I think it'd be really cool to have like an Anthony Bourdain style hunting show. And he goes, man, that's a really good idea. And so, um, you know, I, I, I floated that idea by a buddy of mine named Dave Watson. And long story short, we, we filmed a pilot and, um, and we, we pitched it to the outdoor channel with the idea that maybe they'd either just totally tell us to get lost, or maybe they'd use the idea to create another show and we'd become executive producers. I don't know what it was exactly we expected, but they loved it. And, and so the next thing I know, I've filmed a whole season of this TV show and it became one of the most successful, you know, uh, new shows that they'd ever had, um, in the, in its first season. And so then I was hooked. You know, I had no choice. Then I got to keep going. So now we're filming the seventh season in Nick's Wild Ride. It's crazy. And now it's on Outdoor Channel. It also airs on Fox Sports, which is now Bally Sports. And so it's like, it's just turned into something this, it, it took on a life of its own. It really did. I, there's, I had a laugh in your face if 10 years ago you'd said, you told me that, you know, in fact, I'd have bet everything I owned against it. There's no way I was going to have a TV show. That, that, that wasn't what my track was. And, uh, but here I am. And, and it's been the time of my life. It's taken me all over the world. I'm systematically just checking my bucket list. I've flown with the Blue Angels. I have uh, hunted in Kyrgyzstan and drank fermented horse milk. Uh, I've danced with the Himba people in Africa. I have, uh, you know, I've, I've dove for lobsters in the Bahamas. And, um, and you know, eaten fermented seal intestine in Alaska with the Inuits. I mean, everything in between. And it's just been the, the ride of a lifetime. Unbelievable. I'm always interested with, with TV talent. Is it, I'm guessing it's really like who you play as you like to a T, you know, but like, is there like a character that comes on? Do you like, as soon as they say, all right, set roll and whatever they say, they snap that little thing, the movie star thing. If they even still do that, if that's a real thing, does something click in your brain and you turn into Nick's wild ride or Nick, the outdoor man, like, or you just play yourself? No, I, I can be, I can really honestly tell you that the one thing I learned in the music business, because I had no experience on TV other than being a host, I mean, a guest on a couple of episodes like that. Um, the one thing I learned in the music business is that authenticity is what sells. Um, there's always some cheesy people out there that, that somehow make it. But for the most part, you have to have a, an element of authenticity to be believable. Right. And, and otherwise people just roll their eyes at you. And so when I started this thing, I just, it, it really was, it, the, it's origins were, were just rooted in what I said was, it's just me. All you're doing in this TV show is just following me doing what I'm going to do anyway which is going to go find the local beer, the local brew, you know, the local burger, the, the, the history, the culture, all that kind of stuff. And so I really do just try to be myself. I'm not an expert. 
So, you know, there's a lot of people that are expert hunters and expert outdoorsmen and expert history people. I'm not an expert at any of those things. So you're just following me doing, doing my thing. And, you know, the truth is that I probably would have more success with it and have even bigger ratings if I maybe did some stuff that wasn't as authentic and, but it's just not who I am and not what I do, you know? And, um, and I'm having a blast because of that, because, and I could keep doing it for a long time because it's, it's real natural for me. It's a good question. I appreciate that question. Yeah. And it's also another thing too, when you find yourself having success in any kind of industry that is, uh, really out there in the public. So whether it's music or whether it's TV, I feel like sometimes you can be kind of like a a cast as a persona. You know, do you, do you find yourself worried about that as you continue wanting to grow in this industry that they're always going to think of you as the outdoor man or or Nick's wild ride, you know, like I'm trying to break away from something that was a past. If you ever choose to move on and do other things, do you think that'll be difficult or do you think it'll just be an evolution of who you are? That's a, that's a, it's a really good way to look at it. I, I definitely, I can tell you that as I've been building the, this runways show, we, we go into full production here in about two months and for that, for the new aviation based travel show, you know, and anytime that you start finding yourself operating in other industries, people automatically, their hackles go up, you know, why, you know, well, well, I thought you were the hunting guy, you know? So if you're the hunting guy, how can you be the aviation guy? You know what I mean? If you're the, if you're the history guy, then how can you be the music guy? And for whatever reason, it works for me because that's, I'm not trying to be somebody I'm not, you know, I'm not the, I never will be the best pilot and I'll never be the best hunter, but I can promise you that I can tell a good story. And I love telling a story and I like telling other people's stories and I like telling, talking about history and I'm not trying to teach you anything. I just want you to, I want to tell the story of my adventure and if it's for you, great. And if it's not, you know, I hope you don't leave a bad comment, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, just leave and, a five-star review. Just don't put any words yeah, on that. Yeah, if you review, don't yeah. mind. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's, uh, look, there, like I said, there's lots of, there's lots of experts out there. You're never going to catch me trying to be an expert ever. And, and so we'll take it or leave it and, and have fun with it. But I can promise you, if you do tune in, it's, you're probably going to have fun and you get to watch me try making an ass out of myself. I mean, look, I threw up for when I flew with the blue angels for my TV show, I threw up like five times and I, and, and I did not edit that out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, if I screw up, you're going to see it. If I have a, a great moment, you'll see that too. Everything in between. I love it. I was trying to think of how I'd be right now if the Blue Angels, I'd probably be freaking out. I'm the type of pilot that likes things to be really like chill and boring. Like I don't, I don't need to do, stole would be fun. I would do stole, but I, I don't need to do aerobatics. I don't need to go upside down. I don't need to jump out of airplanes. It's like, I just want to fly, take off and land, whatever. <laughs> as soon as you introduce something else, I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going on? <laughs> oh dude, it was nuts, you know, but I love it. And I, I think that's the my favorite part about the aviation community too, is that the people you know, the, 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 I loved that. I love that, it, that blue angels experience every aviation thing that I've done for my TV show. I have met friends that, that I'll have for a lifetime, you know, I mean, a couple of great examples are my, my friends, Mindy and Kendi uh, and Kevin Lindheim, who you've had on here before, you know, I met them through a, a, a thing I did with Cessna a long time ago. And 
we have be, they've become some of our best friends and, and it has nothing to do with the Schmindy that we all know and love now. You know what I mean? It has nothing to do with any celebrity, anything. It's because we're like-minded aviation people that really enjoy hanging out together and, and, and they have a way cooler house than I do. And I really, <laughs> and I really am jealous. I have, they have the best setup on the planet. You know what I mean? So, and I'm just, uh, I love that. I love meeting people like you. I just, I just, I love this industry. I love this business. Um, and I love flying, you know, and, and I just, I can't believe I went 20 years without it in my life. I, I just can't. Like when I look back at it now, I'm like, how the hell did I manage to make it 20 years without owning an airplane? Like airplane ownership has been one of the great loves of my life. You know, and it's only been a couple of years, you know, like how did, how did I go without this in my life? I mean, I could have done without the, the pocketbook, yeah. you know, give me an airplane. Come on. Yeah. Hey, which you come on. But yeah. I, I, I just don't know how I went without it. And if my message to everybody out there is like, dude, if you're, if you're thinking about flying, jump off the damn cliff. You know, if, if you're, if you're thinking about getting back into it, jump off the cliff, just go for it. Because life's too damn short, you know. Don't like it is. physically jump off a cliff, though. Just want no, that to be thrown no, out there. No, yeah, don't no, actually don't jump, jump off a cliff. Don't actually like, jump off a cliff. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, yeah. it, per per our earlier conversation, yeah. go jump off a cliff. Yeah. The legal team is advising me to say, <laughs> <laughs> don't go do that, please. Just go do it. So, know? since Mindy and Kevin will probably listen to this, I've told the story a lot on Instagram. But they literally bought the plane I was going to buy, Mojo, their 182. I sent an email probably a day too late, and they already had the deal all set up and ready to go. And I it saw, turned out it was I in saw Mindy's the, uh, hangar. The pissing, I saw the pissing match going back and forth on, on Instagram. I, I tried to stay out of the middle of it. <laughs> it was all, it's all in good fun. If anyone can have it, I'm glad <laughs> they have it. But I just love uh, giving them a hard, not really giving them a hard time because they won, but I love being the, the salty guy in the back and just giving them a hard time. <laughs> so it's good. so much fun. <laughs> that's great. Well, would you, have, would you have put that much energy into polishing that thing? See, that's the thing. I saw that and I was like, you know what? They went to the right home. You know, I'm good. I don't, that was a lot of work, man. I am. I don't know if I want to polish an airplane. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> man, Mindy doesn't screw around. I know she puts her mind to something, man. She's after it. Yeah, I, I'm, glad, uh, I'm glad they got. It. I'll find another 182 that doesn't need to be polished to be just as cool. We can all hang out and go fly around. So I'll be good. It's like you know, it's like having friends with boats. You know what I mean? Like it's better to to have a friend with a boat than to own a boat. And I think the same thing goes for polished planes. Like <laughs> I, I think having a friend with a polished plane is way better than having one yourself. Yeah, it's That's like I gotta I have a polished selfie pic of a polished 182 on my Instagram feed at some point. <laughs> I just don't want to have to polish the airplane. So Mindy, exactly. I'm gonna come hang out, and, and Kevin, we're gonna go golfing before your next check ride, and we're gonna go take some <laughs> selfies in front of your plane. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, Getting back to you a little bit, we're wrapping up here. Um, here's a question that I don't really ask everyone, and I feel like I should now, but as you've been successful in your career through through many different things, what's something or what's the most important thing you'd want to be known for? Like Nick, the hard worker, Nick, the musician, Nick, the pilot, Nick, that tried to connect people and tell stories. What's like the one thing that you would want everyone to look back on and like see your legacy or to see what you've done? Man. That question's hard for me because I, I guarantee you, if you had asked 20-year-old Nick or even 17-year-old Nick that ran away from home, 20-year-old Nick, tw- 25, 30, you know, and, and now 
I guarantee you that answer would be different every time. Um, because for me, I've been really lucky. I, with, with very few exceptions, I pretty much achieved a lot of the goals that I wanted in my life. You know, not necessarily to, for example, I had a top 15 hit, but I didn't have a number one hit, right? Like I, like I wish that I had that number one, I had those things. So when I was 17 or 20, I would have told you that it, it, I want, I want to be remembered as, um, you know, the, the guy who had the big song that we all knew, you know what I mean? Um, when I was, when I had my daughter, I, I told myself that I wanted to be remembered as a great father. You know what I mean? And I still want that obviously, but if there's one thing, I think honestly, I, I want to be remembered as a guy that just lived life to the fullest. And that is so general, but it's true. I really wake up every day and, and I just, I try to seize the moment because I have had too many friends that have just cut either their lives are cut short or they didn't live up to their potential. And I think by living life to the fullest, that, that encompasses a lot of things. I want to be a great dad. I want to be a great husband. I want to be a great pilot. I want to be a great musician. I want to make people happy. You know, so here's the so, thing: you can't be great at everything. What are you bad at? Give me something you're bad at. Like someone's got to listen to this and be like, "All right, <laughs> he can't do everything right, right?" <laughs> uh, I am a, I am terrible. I mean, absolutely terrible at golf. Hey, me too. And and I have tried so hard, and I love to play golf. Man, I I love the game of golf, and I have taken lessons, and I have gone to the. I have tried. I you know, like I said, put the hard work in. I literally have tried. I feel like I've put a submission, a sufficient amount of work into trying to at least get to the next level. I suck at golf. So we're not going to see in the golf channel anytime soon is what you're saying. <laughs> no, well, you'll see, you'll see me on there, like making an ass out of myself. Yeah. That'd be fun. But no, no, I'm terrible at that. Um, I'm i I'm really, really bad at texting people back. There you go. All right. <laughs> That's relatable. So you and I have I'm, similar faults. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm, um, I found I, I, I'm really good at drinking beer, but I'm not very good at making it. Okay. I've tried to make some beer. It didn't turn out so good. Um, I don't know. I could go on and on. We'll do another podcast. I'll give you an hour. You just say everything you're bad at. (laughs) All the shit I suck at. Exactly. Yeah. That's what people want to listen to. And now it is time for the rapid fire section. Today's rapid fire section is sponsored by Sirius XM Aviation. With high-resolution coast-to-coast composite radar and cloud-to-cloud, cloud-to-ground lightning updated every 2.5 minutes along with always available weather products like METARs, ECOTOPS, and storm tracks, Sirius XM lets you fly confidently knowing that your weather information is available at 500 feet or at your destination 500 miles ahead. Check out aopa.org forward slash Sirius XM to get a two-month free trial to try these products out for yourself. All right, uh, we got one more section. It is the rapid fire section. So these are just Boom. very quick questions, aviation related. You answer as quick, a po- quick as possible and don't explain your answer. Just whatever you say, that's what it is. If you mess up, I'm sorry, man. That's it. It's written in stone. So that's what well, it is. Well, if, if the long answers that I've given you in this podcast are any indication, that'll be difficult. I'm apparently <laughs> very long-winded today. Sorry. That's good though. I like it. It's been good so far. <laughs> All right, you ready? Yep. Favorite airplane ever made? got to be the got to be the 206 the Cessna 206 what about a corporate jet if you have one i'd love i oh 
I was going to say, I'd really love to have a, something I can fly single pilot. So, but like, like a Mustang, like a Cessna M2 would be awesome. Or a Cirrus jet would be pretty cool. You know, you lost me at Cirrus jet, but it's okay. Uh, yeah, I agree. It could be a pretty fun little airplane to have, man. I really yeah. do. This SR-22 is cool too. Get you there just as quick. <laughs> yeah, but it's not a jet. <laughs> no, nah, I get it. I get it. Uh, what about an airplane? Like, a, not airplane. What about an airliner? Do you have like a, do you love the 787, the 747? Oh man, for me, the 747 was like, uh, it's just, that's the the queen of the skies. My grandma and I used to go to the Minneapolis airport and watch 747s land. I just, uh, ever since I was a kid. You know, I know they're they're going the way of the dodo now, but if I could fly a, a, a jumbo jet, it'd be a 747. Absolutely. So I get a lot of crap for my answer for this next question. It's the ugliest airplane. Uh, before I tell you mine, if you don't know already, what is the ugliest airplane you've ever seen? The ugliest airplane? What a great question. Uh, it's got to be like the, anything diamond, right? Uh, the diamonds are just like, the, I just don't think they're sexy airplanes at all. I'm sorry. I just think they're ugly. I really so, do like I would have said yes until they came out with they're coming out with a DA fifty RG. I think that plane is a, such a cool looking airplane. I mean, don't get me wrong. I I've 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 never flown one, never flown in one. I just never I've never looked at that and went, Ugh, that's sexy. You know what I mean? Look up the the DA fifty. You might change your mind. You never know. It's a pretty right, badass cool. looking airplane. Uh, but yeah, it's all subjective, right? But mine's a Piaggio. I hate the Piaggio. It's the ugliest airplane I've ever oh, seen in my life. I'm not I, a canard guy. To... I don't like catfish, catfish. So, you know, just it's a very unfortunate looking airplane. Well, I got to fly with with John Moore and his Piaggio uh, twin. You know, the twin, the, the his um, sea boat thing. Yeah. Uh, I loved it. But that's not the plane you're talking about. No, I know. that's different. Yeah. This is the, but, yeah, the twin with this... the canard and... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? I, I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. It literally looks like a flying catfish. Catfish don't <laughs> fly. Why would you make it look like that? I get it. The plane's fast and it's cool, but like, I'm good. <laughs> That's funny. All right, here we go. Uh, here come the quick ones. Something you wish you knew before you became a pilot. Oh, uh, something I wish I knew before. I, oh. I, wish I, I wish I knew how easy it was going to be. Like in the scheme of things, I, I, you know, there's so many barriers to entry. People think they can't do it. I wish I knew that it, it isn't, it, that it's totally doable. I say that to everybody. It's totally doable. I agree. 100% agree. One person in the industry you would like to meet most. I would have loved to have met John Glenn. That's a good one. You he know, spoke I, I, I at really, my college oh, to my so class cool. of like 35 people. So my, when, when you asked the, the question, my head went a, a thousand different directions. Um, but man, the ask, those astronauts, those early guys that were doing all these, the test flights and, you know, the, the Jaegers of the world and all those guys, I mean, oh, they were rock stars, man. I mean, they were amazing human beings doing some dangerous stuff with, with nothing like we have now, you know? All right, let's see. I'll ask this one. What's your least favorite airport to land at? Oh, John Toon. Ah, I was going to say that. I was just going to be like, hey, guess what? You live probably really close to one of my least favorite airports. (laughs) John Toon sucks. It's getting a tower though, right? It's getting, yeah. And and, uh, it's, you know, and they're changing the airspace around here basically because of Toon. Thank goodness. You know, that airport Um, is a hot mess. It it really is, and it's not that it's not a nice airport itself. It's oh, the traffic great. and the it's, great area, it's the, great everything about it's great. Just the traffic. Yep. 
just traffic's terrible. John Toon's really bad. I can't believe there, I mean, there might have been, I just didn't know. Like, I can't believe there hasn't been more accidents at that airport. I think you're right. It's, yep. a, it's honestly a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> I won't go that far and say that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's your favorite thing about aviation? The people. Hardest approach you've ever flown? Or hardest flight, let's say that. Hardest flight you've ever flown? Well, um, yeah, I mean, I'm just now getting my instrument, right? So uh, not quite the, as far as the approaches go. The, um, the hardest flight. You know, I... Um, the hardest thing, the hardest flight so far for me, I, I flew a caravan into um, into a little tiny strip called Dog Island, um, which is just off the coast of Florida. It's a tiny little grass strip, and it was the whole front part of it was muddy, and we knew we had flown over it and checked it out, and we knew we weren't going to be able to land on that muddy spot, and so I had to hit the spot and land short and use everything that that turbine had to to go into beta and, and, you know, and reverse thrust and everything. And I, I was, and I nailed it. And so it was the hardest thing I've done to, to the date flying wise. And I'm proud to say that I, that I actually did it and it was good. You know, I basically robbed myself of half the runway because of the mud. You know what I mean? Yeah. What's your least favorite flight you've ever flown? Or is it that one as well? Is that your least? No, favorite? my favorite? least favorite flight I've ever flown. That's so easy. I, I got picked up by a buddy of mine in a conquest and we went down to Turks and Caicos and, um, he picked me up in Nashville and we, my wife and I actually, and, and so he had his buddy, he was flying left seat. His buddy was flying right seat and I was in the back and, you know, turn around, watching the whole thing go down. And I still don't to this day don't exactly know what happened, but man, we got into some high cumulus clouds and we got tossed around in the most severe turbulence. I thought we were going to die. It scared the absolute crap out of me. Um, and I had to, I remember, I'll never forget. I had to pee so bad that, that on top of that, every bounce, I kept thinking I'm going to pee my pants. <laughs> that was miserable. And I kissed the ground when we landed. I was so scared. Yeah. The turbulence can be terrifying. It was terrifying. It's the worst turbulence I've ever experienced. And as an instrument pilot now, like as, you know, as about to be one, everybody needs to have one of those experiences to know that you need to avoid that. Right. Like as as long as you can live through it, that was scary. What's your favorite airport food? And I'll say this as not like airport itself, but let's say you are flying, uh, doing a cross country or you need to make a pit stop somewhere. You Mm -hmm. have to go to the bathroom. Uh, what are you going to go get to eat? You go to Chick-fil-A, you go to a local place, uh, local barbecue. What are you going for? Yeah. You nailed it. Barbecue for me. Uh, I, I love barbecue. I like to, I like to make barbecue here at the house. I like to smoke stuff. I love seeing how other people do it. Uh, the other side of it, and, and guys always hate me that are fly with me. I love to go find a good, a, a crappy Mexican restaurant. I love it. <laughs> the I love next it. day you might not like it as much. But, exactly. Yep. Uh, let's see Airbus or Boeing. If you could fly on one or the other, what would it be? Airbus. I fly a lot. I like the Airbuses. Um, and I also, uh, I've never actually obviously flown one in the cockpit, but I think they have sexy cockpits. Would you, you know fly I mean? over mountains, beaches, or cities? Beaches. Favorite airline livery? God, I take that back. Mountains. <laughs> it's too late. I already <laughs> told you it's written in stone. <laughs> Kevin, cut it out. He's not allowed to change his name. I'm just kidding. That's fine. <laughs> uh, what was the next question? Uh, favorite airline livery? Airline livery. Hey, what do you mean? 
So paint job. That's just a weird term for the paint. Oh yeah, I've never heard it put like that. Um, airline livery. I like Alaska Airlines um, because they have the the animals, the outdoor animals and stuff on the back. Frontier. I'm always, yeah. Uh, no. Um, yes, I meant Frontier. Yeah. It, so I sucked at that answer. Well, meant, Frontier might Coast. not be an airline soon because they're merging with Spirit. So. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, no more. Bye bye. I know they're taking away favorite plane. Guess you, you just got to fly yourself everywhere now. Yeah. Um, what is the biggest regret of your career? If you have one. Wow. The biggest regret of my career was honestly the biggest credit. The biggest regret of my career was, was looking back. I'm sorry, was not looking forward enough, um, in, in not starting my own solo career sooner. Um, and that, you know, I, like I said, that's nothing against the time that I spent with Kenny was the time of my life, the best years of my life. But I, I, I wish that I had, I would have just started, um, my own solo career sooner. I really do. I've never told any, I've never told anybody that. Oh, I appreciate it. We're breaking news here. <laughs> What's the biggest win of your career? The biggest win of my career, um, was definitely, you know, getting my own record deal with the farm. Um, the second would be, I was really lucky my last year with Kenny. I, I, I won the award for touring musician of the year from the CMA from the country music association. So I won the CMA for touring musician of the year. And that was a huge honor. Um, the other biggest win of my career is by far the first time I played the Grand Ole Opry. Man, that's awesome. Yeah. Goals, man. If I had any musician, musical skills, I would, uh, I would have loved uh, to have done that. It just seems like such a cool thing to do. Yeah. Special. They, you know, yeah. uh, they, and they filmed it too. You can actually go on YouTube and watch, watch my first performance, uh, as a, as a, you know, my own person with the no. farm, uh, on, no. on YouTube. It's really cool. Oh, I'll have to do that. Yeah. What's your favorite Sirius XM station? I like Willie's Roadhouse a lot. That's kind of my kind of my go-to thing. So, I, I yeah. I was always a highway guy. Like I love the mm-hmm. highway. I love country music I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. So not as redneck as they get, but you know, close to as redneck as they get. Uh, but I really like Garth Brooks's channel. It is the yep. most diverse channel I've ever heard in my life. This dude's like playing party in the USA. Then he's playing old school Dolly Parton. And then he's playing his, like, it's like incredible. They literally just say, what music do you like? Play it. It's crazy. Yeah. And I really like Kenny's no shoes radio too. That's got a a lot, definitely an eclectic vibe too, but it's not as all all over the map as Garth. It's crazy. But I'm, I'm a sucker for the old stuff and I love Willie's roadhouse. Yeah. All right. I'll get to get a chance. Like sound fine. Yeah. Uh, Piper or Cessna? Cessna. Last but not least, you are, let's say you're going to some crazy place in the world. You get to choose any airline, even let's say they don't fly there, but you just get to say they fly there. What airline do you always want to fly on? Oh, I'm a Delta guy. There it is. Uh, you know, I've, I've diamond on Delta for years. So love Delta. There it is. Well, Nick, those are all the questions I have for you, man. I really appreciate you coming to the episode uh, or on the podcast. It was really cool talking with you and finally getting this done. Uh, let me know we need some more coffee. You know, we got the whole beans now, so you can get ground coffee, whole bean coffee, whatever you need. We got you. But, Man, uh, I saw I saw Mindy posting about that the other day, and I'm like, "Hey, I need to buy some of that." Yeah, you know, well, just what I mean? let me know. Just let me know. No. I'm the coffee guy, yeah, it, apparently. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, it's Saturday night, and my neighbor's having a birthday party, so I'm cracking a beer. There, there you, you go. go. And uh, happy Saturday. As soon as you start making beer, let me know. All right. Pilot, what's, what's your beer of choice? Pilot beer. Pilot's beer. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's probably that not works, the best right. idea. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. Sort of, 
<laughs> I'll ask the legal team again on that one. <laughs> what, what's your beer choice? What are you popping? Um, this is a Lagunitas Little Something. There you go. So you're Chicago. Yeah. That's a Chicago beer, isn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah. definitely. There you go. A, I live in Chicago right now. So look at that. I love that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was just there the other day. I didn't know that. Yeah. Next time. Just in the suburbs. Might be moving soon. So we'll see. Find out soon. But good for you, Nick. Stay thanks tuned. so much, man. I really appreciate it. Uh, this will, this is actually coming out next week, sir. This Tuesday, so it's a quick turnaround. Um, yeah, it was awesome having you on. We can debrief a little bit, but it was great having you on. Yeah, thanks, man. Here, I'll I'll play you out. You ready? Yeah, go for it. Thank you.